Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Amen. It's the greatest story ever told, and we're finishing up talking about it today, at least as far as our Easter series goes. Uh, welcome to our church this morning. If you've never been here on a Sunday, welcome to Engage Boise. It's beautiful outside. It's beautiful inside because all of you are here. And uh, most of you are awake. I would say like 70% of you. The other 30%, <laughs> I'm not too sure. Including myself and the 30%. You never know. As you can tell, I've got a, a bit of a cold going on. And uh, I've been telling people, either it's a really bad cold or I'm getting old. And it takes a long time to get over stuff. I'm undecided on which one it is. So apologize for the, uh, the uh, strange voice and the sniffling. But it uh, shouldn't be too bad. Uh, my wife's name is Chandra. She's opening kids. If you're brand new, we'd love to shake your hand afterwards Say thank you for coming. Um, <clears throat> I want to thank you, Pastor Monty, for uh, just being obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Pastor I mean, did a great job describing that. God uh, gives us spiritual gifts and asks us to exercise them in a correct way in church. So I pray that you take that to heart. Um, I want to encourage you as wholeheartedly as I can to make sure and join us next week. If you're here today, if you're listening online, Pastor Almeida and Antonio, next week will be their last week with us. The Lord has called them home to Virginia. And please make sure and join us because we want to send them off. Uh, in as grand a fashion as possible, okay? Every one of you that knows them and is a worship with them, we would love for you to be here. Uh, please come prepared to be generous to them if you can and if God uh, moves your spirit in that way. We'll have a basket out there for cards that you may want to bring. We'll have some cards you can fill out with words of encouragement. Um, and you can put a gift in those as well. We'll have a big card for everybody to sign. Uh, so you can write words to go with them. Uh, there is uh, someone collecting some letters I've heard that we'll send with them, all sorts of good stuff. Uh, so please make sure and be here to celebrate them. The Lord, Like I said, Lord's called them home to Virginia. God is in all of this stuff. But I want to make sure that we make much of them next week because the Bible says to give honor where honor is due. Amen? And that's what we are going to do, obey the word of God. So please make sure, don't miss next week. Uh, we'll, we'll worship as usual, have a message as usual, we'll have a reception afterward in the kids' room with... Uh, dessert and all the good stuff. So please make sure to be here. Honor them with us next week. Also of note, of course, Mother's Day coming up, May 14th. We'll celebrate moms that day in a big way. We also will look for a way to bless our community in conjunction with that. Uh, last year, we spent some time blessing single moms. We'll probably do something like that again. So should have more details for that uh, on that for you soon. Today, though, we are wrapping up uh, our series, which has centered around Easter, the greatest story ever told. And last week we asked the question, along with the disciples and those in the New Testament, right? They asked, now what? When it comes to stories, we talked about sequels, right? The one that comes after the first one. What happens after a great story has been told? Uh, there's often a sequel or a part two, right? Uh, my sons and I, uh, yesterday, we watched the... Uh, Let's see, the final episode of season three of The Mandalorian. And uh, we waited to see if there was like, you know, because the, they, they did leave it open to keep going. We waited to see if there was a secret scene at the end. Sometimes they put like, after the credits, they put a secret scene to let you know it's going to be coming. There's usually another part. Uh, in our culture, whether there was intended for it to be a second one or whether there, there wasn't, uh, whether the story has a place for it or whether it doesn't, it doesn't really matter Right? If people liked it and it made money, they'll usually go make another one. <laughs> Last week, I mentioned this book, Ready Player One, that I love. Don't read the sequel. It's not worth your time. Uh, I mentioned the show Lost. You know, they kept going when they should have quit after a couple of seasons. But I also mentioned Top Gun. 
If you've seen the Top Gun sequel, that one was worth seeing, right? <laughs> amen. I got an amen about Top Gun. You love that. Uh, what I didn't mention was this movie called Ocean's Eleven, which I've said before is one of my favorite movies. I love Ocean's Eleven. There are sequels to Ocean's Eleven, but they're, um, they aren't as forgettable as a lot of sequels. But they're also not quite as memorable because if you've seen Ocean's Eleven, right, you know that nothing is quite how it seems. Right? You watch it one time, and you're like, I need to watch that another time or two so I can catch all the stuff. So when you watch the sequels, you know that. Nothing is what it seems on the surface, right? So you always know there's another shoe coming. They're fine, but not as good. In the context, though, of God's plan for us, we've been saying each week that God is writing a story upon the earth. God's the author. He's writing a story. And it's the story of heaven coming to earth each day. That's what's happening as we were singing and worshiping is a little bit of heaven touched this place and has come to earth. And the best part about that story is that when we are his children, when we accept Jesus, we get to be a part of it, right? We get to be a part of the greatest story ever told. Now, that doesn't mean we don't sometimes get to where it's difficult to tell which way is up, right? If you are a human and you're honest, we get to where, man, it's hard to tell what way we're supposed to go. After, after all, right, while Jesus was on earth in John 16, he said, in this life, we would have what? We would have trouble. Jesus himself said it. And sometimes, because on this earth we will have trouble, we find ourselves asking the question, okay, now what? I said the prayer, I accepted Jesus, I know he's real, okay, but now what? I've committed my life to Jesus, I've allowed him to change my heart, but Lord, I have news for you, uh, life is still hard, but now what? Well, the great thing is that we are in good company because those that were closest to Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, they were all asking the same thing. They were all asking, now what? And what they found out is that when they answered that question, the answer was, that, or asked that question, the answer was that Jesus was with them, right? We talked last week about Mary Magdalene and her sorrow. Jesus was with her. And in her sorrow, she did something profound. She went back to where she last knew Jesus to be, which was the tomb. And miraculously, even though the tomb was where his body was supposed to be, he wasn't there. He was alive, and he met her there. Also, Jesus was with Thomas in his doubt, in his questions. And we talked last week about Thomas, and the honest questions he asked were a conduit to a supernatural answer. The reason we have that incredible story, that incredible answer of Jesus, here, Thomas, see my scars, is because he was willing to ask the question. By the way, we didn't talk about this last week. He was the only one of the disciples that was willing to voice his doubts. I'm sure he was not the only one. Today, we're going to wrap up this series by talking about just one more instance after the resurrection where people that knew Jesus were asking, okay, now what do I do? And what they found simply was that he was with them. And because he was with them, then 2,000 years ago, we know, friends, that he is with us. See, we see that Jesus is with us, friends, in our journey. He's with us in our sorrow. He's with us, with us in our doubts. And today, he's with us in our journey. Those two places we spent time talking about last week, sorrow and doubt, those are kind of acute needs, Right? Times when we need help in one specific moment. Something really hard happens, and we're like, Lord, I need you now, right? Uh, Mary uh, went to the garden tomb, and she did not know what else to do with her life. So she went to the tomb. And for Thomas in the locked room with the other disciples, right, when he didn't dare say no, they'd asked him to go to the room one time, and he said no. The second time, he didn't dare say no. 
And he's saying, Lord, you here's what I need. I need to see the scars. And it's wonderful to know that Jesus is with us in those type of circumstances. But what we're talking about this morning is, I believe, proof of how Jesus is with us in every moment. He's with us in every moment. We're going to read from Luke 24 if you want to get your Bibles ready or your devices. Um, and I encouraged you last week to, to see yourself in these interactions that people had with Jesus after the resurrection. It's something that I try to do myself, put myself in those positions, think about how I would act. And I would love for us to do that same thing today. Surely, friends, there's mountain high, there's valley low experiences in this life. What we're about to read speaks to our hearts and what happens in between the mountain peaks and the lowest valleys. Because if we're honest, right, the reality is we spend more time on our way to and from one of those places than anything else. A little time in the valley, a little time on the peak, a lot of time in between. So let's read together uh, Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 13 through 34. It's kind of a long passage, uh, but it's got an awesome payoff at the end. I'm reading to you out of the NIV today. If you want to follow along, Luke 24, 33. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests... And our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And there's such beauty described in that passage. Uh, we need to understand one thing so we understand what's going on. This is, about, this is the same day as Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Same day as what we talked about last week. And it's really interesting to me. Uh, it stands out to me. It speaks to me that the names of both people in the, in the story are not revealed. It said farther down in verse 18, right, that one of them is named Cleopas. Apart from this story, on the road to Emmaus, we don't know anything about this guy. 
We know nothing else about him. As far as the identity of the other person, because it says there was two, some people think it was the author Luke himself, but he chose not to identify himself. Some think it was another one of the 12. The reason for thinking Luke or another one of the 12 is uh, because it's so personal, they think it must have been someone that had seen it all. Some people even think it was Cleopas and his wife. No basis for that. they just an idea they come up with. But to me, there is power in the fact that whoever it was, both that person and Cleopas, uh, they're pretty unknown. We don't know who one of them was. We don't know anything about the other person. In the New Testament, right, we talk about the 12 disciples quite a bit, and rightly so. Right? They, they were with Jesus. They wrote books of the Bible. But these people on the road, they weren't any of the 12 disciples, we don't think. They could have been anybody, which means they were just like you and me. Could have been anybody, and it means they were just like you and me. See, what matters the most is not who they were, but simply the fact that they were unknown. They were just regular people. They were just regular people trying to make sense of the world, trying to make sense of what it is they had just seen and experienced. Whoever they were, though, as they walked on the road to Emmaus, we can be clear, they were having a now what moment. Whoever they were, they were like, what in the world just happened? Clearly, they had known Jesus. Not sure what to do next. They set out on a journey to a place called Emmaus. Now, Emmaus is a place that says it's seven miles from Jerusalem, but we aren't certain the actual location of it. We know it was close by because it doesn't seem like they're on too long of a trip. But what it comes down to is that we find two unknown people on a trip to an unknown place. Two unknown people on a trip to an unknown place. That sounds a lot like how we feel a lot of the time, right? Well, it's just me and my wife. <laughs> we'll just keep plugging along, Lord. I don't know where we're going, what we're doing, but we're going to give it our best shot. I don't know what just happened back there. I think everything's on fire, but we're just going to keep walking, right? Two unknown people on a trip to an unknown place. What we can pull out of just the circumstances surrounding this before we even dig in to the story is that no matter how ordinary the journey feels, friends, Jesus is with us. No matter how ordinary your journey feels, Jesus is with you. The Son of God is with you. You and I, uh, we might feel like who we are, what we do is insignificant, but just like he walked with two unknown people on the road, Jesus walks with us. And what's really happening is, uh, to go back to the very beginning of this series, what's really happened here is they are struggling with the big plot twist in this story. There was a big plot twist at the beginning, right? Jesus rode in, and he was supposed to be the conquering king, which we'll reference in a minute. But there was another plot twist. They thought he was going to live, and he died. And they counted themselves among those who believed that Jesus who had been the one who would come and make things right. They knew these people, the story of Israel and the exodus out of Egypt. They knew the prophecies that a Savior would come. They knew the signs that they had seen. And in the story of God's people, as far as they understood it, they were expecting Jesus to come and end all the bad stuff. They were expecting Jesus to come, vanquish the oppressors, remove the sinners from power, and place God's people in power once and for all. That's what they thought was happening. Just like Mary Magdalene and Thomas that we talked about last week, the assumption is that these two had seen all of it. They had seen the miraculous provision when Jesus fed the 5,000. They had seen the healings, and they had seen the bringing of the dead to life. 
They'd seen Jesus expertly silence the teachers in the temple. They'd seen all of it. And the story is kind of amusing for us. We just read because we know it's Jesus talking to them, right? It's, it's better for us because we know the end. The time, they didn't like it, I imagine. Jesus acts in verse 18 like he's not aware of what's happening, you know, so to, to draw them out. And there's this key moment, though, in verse 19 that is a giveaway to what these two people on the road actually believed in their hearts at this moment. Because when they were referencing Jesus, they say he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. They don't say he is a prophet. They say he was a prophet. So you know, no matter what they had honestly believed a week ago, what they believe now is that the prophet, the priest, and king they believed in is no longer living. He was alive. They may have believed before that Jesus was the coming Messiah, but now they believe simply what their two earthly eyes told them. And their eyes told them Jesus had been crucified. Crucifixion was what happened to people in the Roman Empire who thought they were going to set Israel free, but they found out too late that they were wrong. It came to an end they did not expect. And what this meant is that everything they thought was going to happen was no longer happening. They thought it was permanent freedom from exile, forgiveness of sins, freedom from the rule of the, sin, the sinful people. But the mistake that they made and the mistake that we often make in this life is that we rely on what our circumstances tell us instead of what we have already learned. We, re- we rely on what we see in front of us instead of what we know already. I have mentioned, if you can't tell, I have a cold. How many of you have heard of the phenomenon called a man cold? Right? A few, this is a modern term. Right? It's the thing we say. We joke about how women can, like, have a baby and then just go right back to work the next day like nothing happened. And men get a cold and they're like, I'm dying. I must stay in my room. Uh, I came down. Uh, my wife... Uh, she was very kind earlier. She told some people I don't actually usually act like that, and it's true. I usually just take cold medicine, and I go about my business as best I can. Um, I'm going to reference this a couple times today, but uh, we were, Pastor Chase and I were at a network conference uh, in Twin Falls uh, this past week. Uh, usually more of our staff goes, but they all had some stuff going on. And I came down with this uh, man cold, as they call it, on Sunday night. And... Uh, it had been a long time since I had been sick. I think this is part of the problem. I had COVID, like, you know, the original COVID way back when. Uh, I forget what variant it was then. There's been a lot of variants since then. But uh, I had that, and that was, I didn't feel great. It was bad. It was hard. I don't think I've had a real cold since then. So I don't know if it's that it's been a long time since I had one. I don't remember what it was like, but, man, I felt bad. And I'll tell you what, I woke up. I don't remember if it was Sunday night or Monday night, but I... I didn't have cold medicine with me. I was trying to soldier through without NyQuil, you know, and uh, couldn't sleep very well. I never sleep well in new places anyway the first night. We were in a hotel, and I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and I, I couldn't decide if the room was hot or cold. I couldn't decide what. I needed water. I needed to get and blow my nose, and I was awake from probably 4 to 5.30 thinking, I'm never going to sleep again. This is the worst. This is the worst side of my life. You know, I'm gonna get up tomorrow. I have to do go to this conference. I'm gonna have to be sick the entire day and the entire day the next day. I'm just thinking this is awful. This is the worst thing ever. The reality is, you're sick for a few days. This one lasts a little, little longer than usual, but it's gonna be fine. 
for an hour in the middle of the night when I was desperate to sleep, all I could see was what was in front of me, which was I felt terrible and I wanted to go to sleep. See, these men, or these people on the road, what their experience told them was that the king had come. They'd seen it all. They'd seen Jesus come. And they'd even heard that Jesus would rise from the dead. But what their circumstances told them is that no one could rise from what they'd witnessed. And here's the application for us, for me and you, friends. Because I don't know about you, but even though I am certain of who Jesus is, I, he's the savior of the world, he's my savior, it sometimes gets real easy to focus on my immediate surroundings. And I start to act like I better figure something out myself. Because what God told me a couple weeks ago doesn't apply right now. He didn't know how bad it was going to be right now. In reality, though, Jesus has shown me plenty to prove. He's always with me on the journey. Over and over again since I was six years old. Remember last week we talked about uh, what Mary Magdalene, all the feelings she must have been feeling. Unpacked that a little bit. The one who had delivered her from seven demons was gone. That was the reason she followed Christ because he delivered her from seven evil spirits. She goes and she tells all of her friends this story that they probably would not believe. You never want to be the person that's like, guys, I promise it's true. And they're like, sure it is. Knowing that her testimony, even as a woman in that society, didn't carry much weight. And in fact, if they were going to fake the resurrection, the woman who had been delivered from seven demons, she would have been their last choice because she wasn't a credible witness. And these two travelers, look at verse 22 through 24 with me. They come right out and they say it. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Once they recount to the traveler what the women, including Mary Magdalene, has said, but they say nothing about believing it. They don't say this happened. They say these women who we don't really believe, they said this thing happened. And we just read the proof a moment ago, right, where they said Jesus was a prophet. They think he's dead, and they think whatever the women saw is not real. I'm so glad, though, that uh, Jesus does what he does next, right? Jesus is there with them, hearing all of this, knowing all of this, knowing their hearts. And in verse 27, look what he says. In beginning, this is what Jesus does. In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So glad that Jesus did that. It's kind of like the same thing we do for our kids. You know, I talk about my little guys a lot, John and Luke. John's 10 now. He turned 10 this last week. Uh, Luke is 7. I talk some about Christina, our daughter that we adopted when she was uh, 13 or 14. And uh, she's not here as often. She lives in Twin. Um, I got to play in the band with her at this conference last week. It was really fun. She plays bass and sings here every once in a while. And... uh, we had been married not long when Christina came to live with us, and, uh, and she had had kind of a rough childhood, and we were her parents, right? She was a high school. She was just sold out to be a high school. And uh, one of the things I did with Christina is I taught her to play golf. She loves sports. I love golf. She wanted to do all the stuff that we wanted to do, so I taught Christina to play golf. Now, if you think you are a patient and a strong, emotional person, you should go try to teach a teenage girl how to play golf. See what you think after that experience is over. She's probably listening to this, and she would fully admit this. 
Golf is about repeating the same thing over and over again if you want to do it well. Being calm and patient, and sometimes that's not, you know, every teenage girl's is, uh, you know, best attributes. And uh, with Christina, a lot of times, the first thing you learn is putting, right? And if you know even the tiniest bit about golf when you putt, you want to make sure that uh, when you hold the putter, uh, you have your head over the ball, directly over the ball, because then you can tell exactly where it's going to go. And I taught her to putt, and she was pretty decent at it, pretty coordinated, and I'd go watch these tournaments with her, right? And you know, she could hit the ball pretty well, but man, she put. I used to tell her she putted like a monkey sometimes. <laughs> putted like a monkey today, sweetheart. And I would always have to go back. It was always the one thing. I don't, I mean, hundreds of times, sweetheart, I can see from here. I can see from 50 yards away, your head's not over the ball. You know, the ball's out here and she's here, waving it. Over and over and over again, Christina, sweetheart, I gotta have your head over the ball. Why do we do this for our kids? Not because we want to, like, be cranky at them or mean to them, right? We do it because we love them. I said that to her over and over again, even though I knew she wasn't going to want to hear it from me. Because I didn't want her to be upset that she hit the ball really well but still shot 99 because she putted like a monkey. Why do we do that kind of thing for our kids? Because we love them. And what Jesus does here, even though he knows they've heard all of this before. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They'd seen what he'd done on earth. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Does not do it to prove himself right. He does it because he loves them. And friends, just like Jesus was with the travelers on the road that day, just as we are with our kids, Jesus is patient with us because he loves us. Jesus is patient with you. He's patient with me because he loves us. You've heard me quote, uh, quote parts of Psalm 103 here uh, many times. You'll continue to hear me quote it many times. And you know why? It's because it's a reminder of God's patience for me. I think that's why I love it so much because it reminds me uh, of how patient God is. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. I can hardly say it without tearing up. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's some patience. What Jesus does here is a reminder of God's patience for us. And here, Jesus was, uh, unbeknownst to the travelers he, was, travelers, he was demonstrating his patience with them so soon after the resurrection, so soon after they'd seen all these miracles. And here, though, is where we can begin to see something to emulate in the actions of these two people on the road. Verses 28, 29, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. One thing we know for certain, one thing we can tell from this is that everything these people had seen, it was weighing heavily upon them. It's kind of like when you experience an event and you just cannot forget it, right? And for the next several days or weeks, you rehash it over and over again in your mind. And every person you run into, you talk about it all over again. Around here, one of those events is the, uh, the first festival, the 2007 festival, right? Everyone's got a story about that. Most people, even if you don't even watch football, you probably in Boise have a story about it. Your story might be, everyone watched it and I didn't. We have a great story. We were on a cruise ship out in the middle of the ocean. I'll tell it to you sometime. But the thing is, for weeks after that, when you saw someone you hadn't seen for a while, I haven't seen you. Did you see the game and the lateral and the thing and the cup, right? 
see, as believers, one thing we must always do is be continually sharpening our understanding of who Jesus is. And the two guys on the road, two people on the road, might have been husband and wife, like we said, the two on the road, even if they had indeed forgotten that Jesus had said he would rise in three days. The prophecies they knew had said it, and Jesus had done everything to fulfill those prophecies. Even if they'd forgotten those things, they aren't done trying to make sense of what they've seen and experienced. So what they're doing is they're walking the seven miles, it says, and they're turning it over in their minds. They're not loud. Can imagine them, right, just walking and testing out new theories, coming up with something out loud. Boy, actually, that sounds, maybe, the, maybe it was the Romans. Maybe they got all their biggest cards and they rolled the stone away and then they went and hid. Maybe the whole thing was a trick. Maybe they're just testing out these theories. Probably as they say their, say their theories, they sound dumb as they say them. Oh, never mind. It's not that. But they're not done trying to make sense of what they've seen and experienced. They might not have it put together, but they're not done trying to figure it out. We must always sharpen our understanding of who Jesus is. For us, this looks like daily study of God's word. We are so fortunate in our country where we live. We can have a Bible with us on our phone, a paper one with us all the time if we want. It looks like daily study of God's word. It looks like sharpening our understanding of Jesus like they were doing on the road. It looks like regularly meeting with others who know Jesus. If you're not spending time with others who know Jesus outside of church, you should. It's life-giving. Praying each day for other people's needs, for God's kingdom to come to earth and for ourselves. That's sharpening our understanding of who Jesus is. A guy gave a great example on, on a Wednesday night. He talks about how he prays the Lord's Prayer. I do the same thing a lot of times. When I'm not sure exactly where to start, I'll just do that. Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We see here that once the man joins them on the road, something tells them that they should ask him to stay. They've seen all of this. This guy joins them. He starts talking about the scriptures, and something tells them when they get to the end of their journey, he's going to keep going. Something tells them they should ask him to stay. Something I believe happened to them that does happen to us in a still, small voice begins to speak to these guys, these people. We don't know where they were headed, where they ended up in Emmaus. We think it was most likely one of their homes. And from a practical standpoint, it would have made sense because those days traveling after dark was very dangerous. But I'm guessing after all that they had seen and heard, they wanted to hear more from this man who seemed to know so much about the scriptures but also somehow did not know what had happened outside the city gates three days earlier. He knew all this stuff, but somehow he hadn't heard about the big deal with the guy dying on the cross. And then they sit down to do something that they would have done either way. At the end of their journey, they sit down to do something they're going to do no matter what. They sit down and they have dinner. Look at verse 30 and 31. When he was at the bread with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It says here that Jesus begins to break bread with them. This is just an expression used in the New Testament for having dinner together. He's just dropping right into the middle of their regular life. 
They're going to have dinner. He's joining them. And right in the middle of a regular evening at the end of a journey, I don't know if seven miles was a lot of walking. It sounds like it to me. Regular evening meal, the end of a long, dusty journey. Just like it happened to Mary at the tomb, it all comes together for them. Remember we talked about from Mary at the tomb. Uh, Mary was sure that someone had taken Jesus' body, and her biggest concern was she wanted to find the body, pay it the respect she thought it deserved. Until Jesus did what? He said her name. And when Jesus said her name, she knew it was him, and all the pieces of the puzzle came together in her mind and in her heart, and she understood And as these people, they sit down to eat at the end of a long day on the road. Maybe, who knows what it was. We don't know and it doesn't say. Maybe for the first time, though, they get a glimpse of his arms and maybe they see the scars. Right? Maybe he was wearing long sleeves and he sits down and he stretches out to to pass something and they see the scars. And they look at each other. They're like, you see it? Maybe just simply Jesus locks eyes with them before they pray over the meal. But something happens that makes that still small voice in their hearts burst into a flame, right? And immediately they realize who's sitting in their midst. It's not just a traveler who knows a lot about the scriptures. It's the Son of God. And I wonder if this might be you, uh, who you would be in the situation. I wonder if one of them says, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. I knew it. I just was, I didn't want to say anything. I knew it. But all it takes is a glimpse at the end of the journey, sitting down to dinner, and they know that their Savior's alive. You see, friends, the reason Jesus came in the heart of Jesus, I believe, is to walk with us each day on our journey. It speaks to me so much that he came and he lived life for 33 and some odd years, and he experienced all that I experienced, the, the pain and the suffering and the love and the sorrow. And these two travelers, along with each and every one of us, we get to live the greatest story ever told. If you know Jesus, you get to live it. That's the one where Almighty God triumphs even through Christ's suffering. And I love that God doesn't go around the suffering or wait for the suffering to dissipate. He just goes directly through it. And he uses the suffering to save mankind. I believe, friends, that this is the lesson we must take from this beautiful story of heaven come to earth. That is that God is strong enough to work through our suffering. If you are suffering today, you need to know God is strong enough to work through it. Sometimes it certainly does not feel like it. And it feels like we are just the unknown person walking on the unknown journey. I've been there. That unknown journey, it just might be the place where our heart begins to burn with what God is speaking. I'd love to give you a personal example from my life just from the past couple weeks. Uh, Just like God to put these pieces into place during the week I ended up speaking on this passage. Um, Like I said, we were at a network conference in Twin Falls. and uh, It's a gathering of all the Assemblies of God pastors, um, and they try to alternate its sides of the state. So one year it'll be over here, one year it's over on the east side of the state. Usually it... Uh, it's called Full Life Family Church now in Twin. And the last time we were there was two years ago. Before we started here, we left our church in Cuna. And uh, um, we walked into this. We walked into there. I hadn't been there since then, two years ago. And um, I walked 
into that church this past week on um, Sunday night. Jason and I got there, and uh, uh, I was just flooded with emotions. And honestly, my heart began to burn a little bit because I remembered very clearly when I was there a couple years ago. Because two years ago, 2021, when I was there, um, I knew the Lord, of course, believed in him and all that. But I was as downcast as I had ever been in my life about what God had me doing. You ever been there before where you're like, okay, Lord, I love you, but what am I doing here? I've, I've, I've had enough. This is quite enough, Lord. I've learned the lesson, I think. Because we went there to this, two years ago we went, and uh, I was getting ordained. And, the, you know, when I decided we felt like the Lord was calling us to lead a church, I needed to go through and get my ordination uh, through the assemblies. And all, all I had to do was uh, do an interview. It was a for, pretty much a formality for me. I just had never filled all the paperwork and made it happen. And um, uh, so... I went ahead and did the ordination paperwork, and one of the nights there, they celebrate all the ordination candidates. Awesome. A pastor prays over you, and the people celebrate, and there's a reception. It's great. And I was like, uh, great. My parents were there. Um, you know, Chandra and the boys came down, and we did this big celebration, and I was thinking, this is pointless. There's no churches to pastor around here. <laughs> what am I doing? That was there, and um, the music for the people was kind of a struggle, and I had just come off you know, uh, leading worship for 12 years. I was like, man, I feel like I can help the music, but I don't even get to do that. I'm just here. I got no job. I got no uh, prospects for a job. Got nothing to even apply for. What am I doing here? Like I said, as downcast as I had ever been about what God had me doing. And I wouldn't say when I was there, my heart was burning within me. My heart was saying, what are you doing? But when we walked in this, this last week, man, it all came together uh, for me. And I do remember um, Pastor Wayne uh, Crownover, who was here, uh, the business meeting when they, uh, you guys voted on us. Um, he prayed over me, and I remember being emotional in that moment. They were really good to us that summer, great people. And uh, when I saw them, it kind of all came together for me uh, because God was preparing me for, and Chandra for this place, preparing us for this place. We were three months away from talking to anybody about it. I had no idea that it would be available or anything like that. But I will tell you this, three months later, my heart did begin to burn when Chandra and I first spoke to Pastor Tim and Debbie. Three months before that, man, I was so frustrated. I was like, please let me do something, Lord. And when I first messaged Pastor Tim and talked to him on the phone, my heart began to burn within me. It's not like I hadn't applied for stuff and thought we might do things thought they might be fun, but nothing had made our hearts feel the way it felt. And for me, you know, I've spent a lot of my life, probably like a lot of you, trying to tune my heart to what God is saying. And when I walked into this church this last week in Twin, God was speaking to me, hey, your heart is burning. I want you to remember how good I am. Don't focus on the circumstances right in front of you. Focus on what I've told you and what I've done. That leads us to these final two verses, verses 33 through 35. What the travelers did, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. 
See, friends, once we realize Jesus is speaking, just like I realized on Monday, God was speaking to me. Once we realize that Jesus is speaking, we have a mandate to let those around us know who he is. When you realize that Jesus is speaking to you, it's your job to let people know. This morning, friends, right in the middle of your journey, however it looks, mountain high, valley low, somewhere in between, you are part of the greatest story ever told. You're part of uh, God's story coming to earth, heaven coming to earth. And your job, your part in the story is to go tell somebody about it. Now, it might, it might, there's a slight might, it might look like something like giving a message like this up here on the stage. Or like Guy did on Wednesday night doing our Bible study. By the way, if you don't come on Wednesdays, you're missing out. Guy did a great job on Wednesday. It might look like that, uh, giving this message over, but honestly, probably not. It's not for everybody. It's a small amount of people the Lord calls to that. What it more likely looks like is making a decision, a commitment to bring your family to church all the time, rain or shine. That might be your part in the greatest story ever told right now. It might uh, very look like, very likely looks like gaining a personal relationship with someone so you can talk to them about Jesus or simply invite them to church. Your part in the greatest story ever told might be getting to know your obnoxious neighbor so one day you can invite them to church. Or your nice neighbor. They don't have to be obnoxious. It might look like being baptized in water here in a couple Sundays. Maybe that's your part in the greatest story ever told, the next step, being baptized in water. Maybe your heart is burning within you because Jesus is speaking to you about how you are a new creation in him. The old is gone, the new is come. If that's you, I encourage you. I won't tell you to get on your phones that often during church, but get it out. Go to our website. Sign up on the thing. Or catch Pastor Wendy on the way out. She's got the sign-up sheet out there. But please know, friends, beyond the shadow of a doubt, Jesus is patient with you. He's gracious and kind. Jesus is patient with you, but he's waiting for the moment that you glimpse the scars on his wrists. Waiting for the moment when he can lock eyes with you. And so here's your part. This morning, friends, uh, that scripture we saw at the beginning of the message is true. I was on that video, Romans 5.8. I think we have it on the screen. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you got nothing else, friends, that's your story. That's the story to your neighbor. I, I was a sinner, but Jesus died for me. And there's no story better than that. Christ died for his friends, for his sorrow and for our doubt and for our journey. And he died for our hearts that are burning within us because he's speaking. Just like it was for the men on the road. Don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. We're almost done this morning. Um, the Lord's presence in this place. And um, I don't often script the ends of these services on purpose because I want uh, to give the Lord a chance just to speak. So as Victoria plays... I'm just going to give you a moment to be quiet before the Lord. But I'm going to pray first. Lord Jesus, I pray for your people in this place. I know most of these people know you, if not all of them. And I pray, though, in this moment that their hearts will begin to burn within them because you were speaking. Lord, if they are in the midst of sorrow, would you speak? If they're in the midst of doubt, would you speak? Would you do something supernatural in their questions? Lord, if they feel like the journey is long, they're in the middle of the seven long dusty miles. 
Lord, I pray that their hearts would begin to burn within them in this moment. Would you just take a moment, friends, and, and I'll let the Lord speak to you. still be bowed your eyes so close. If you're here this morning and, and the Lord is speaking to you because you need to give your life to him again, or for the first time, I encourage you, come find me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you, um, encourage you, celebrate with you. Um, I have a book called Following Jesus that will guide you through a lot of what a relationship with Jesus looks like. But I encourage all of you in this place, everyone who's here, allow God to speak to you and be with you in your journey. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've been with us today. Thank you. You've been with me as uh, I've spoken. Lord, thank you for with us as we worshiped earlier. Thank you. You spoke through Imani. Lord, thank you that you know every one of us personally. And I ask that you go with us from this place as we get ready to go about our day and about our week, uh, that you would let our hearts burn with uh, the cause you've put inside of us, the call for every one of us to let people know about you. Pray you give us boldness to invite someone to church. Lord, give us boldness to pray for someone when you poke our hearts. Lord, for those that just need to know you're there and you're working and you're in charge, would you put your strong right hand on their shoulder? Would you guide them and direct them? Be close to them. And Lord, for those that think they've gone too far from you this morning, would you let your grace and your compassion, uh, would you let it find them today? Thank you for your mercy and grace in my life. Thank you for it in the life of our church. Would you bind us together by the power of your name, Jesus? We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Friends, if your heart is burning within you, pay attention. Let God speak to you. Uh, sign up for water baptism if you would like to. Um, so grateful to have you this morning. One more reminder. Next Sunday, we are celebrating Pastor Almeida and Antonio. Don't miss that Sunday. Come celebrate them with us. Let's make much of them because they are awesome. Um, We'll be sad to see him go, but we also want to celebrate them the best we can. So uh, please make every plan to be here next week. Um, if you accepted the Lord, you want to accept him, come find me. I'd love to give you one of these books. Love you very much. Thanks for coming to church. And we will see all of you Wednesday or Sunday. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.